Hey, RareCast listeners. Rare in the Square brings together rare disease innovators each year to forge partnerships and advance innovation. The event takes place in conjunction with the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference and the Biotech Showcase. The annual financial conference is held in San Francisco that kick off the new year in biotech. While both of those events have gone virtual in 2021 because of the pandemic, Global Genes is partnering with the Biotech Showcase to create Rare Beyond the Square this year to highlight rare disease progress and innovation, share information, and facilitate partnering and networking among companies, investors, and rare disease communities. Tune into Rare Beyond the Square, January 11th through the 14th, 2021. You can register at globalgenes.org under the Events tab. Thanks. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. disease drug developer Retrofin has been through a number of changes in recent years, including a new CEO, a late-stage failure of a key program, and the resolution of dueling lawsuits between it and its former CEO and convicted fraudster, Martin Shukreli. Now, with data from its lead experimental therapy, Sparsitin, expected next year in two different rare kidney diseases, the company has changed its name to Trevere Therapeutics. We spoke to Eric Dubay, CEO of Trevere, about the company's new identity, its experimental therapy, Sparsitin, and the rare kidney diseases it's being developed to treat. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. We're going to talk about the newly renamed Trevere Therapeutics, rare kidney diseases, and your efforts to develop a therapy to treat them. Before we do that, though, I'd like to start with you. There are a number of CEOs in the rare disease space who have children with a rare condition. You're someone who has been through this as a patient. You've survived a a rare cancer. Did that have any impact on your desire to work in the rare diseases space? And I'm wondering how that experience as a patient may have changed your perspective as a drug developer. It it certainly had a a big impact. And I know that for so many leaders, their personal experience and um, the experience uh, of others around them really drive a sense of purpose. And I think for me, I really have um, used that experience of being a rare cancer survivor. I actually was diagnosed with two different rare cancers and, and, you know, thankfully many years out, I'm a survivor. But it really does drive a lot of how I think about my role. And, you know, I've worked in in several different therapeutic areas. And the two that I felt most connected with is when I was in oncology and now the role that I'm in working in rare disease. And I think for both of those, um, I know so well the level of uncertainty that so many patients and and families face when they hear that diagnosis and the uncertainty about whether there's actually a therapy for them. And I think the other that I share quite a bit with my team is that time 
really matters for rare disease families. And, and with 95% of patients with rare disease not having an approved therapy, we've got to work with a, a really strong sense of urgency in all that we do. Listeners will probably know Trevere by its previous name, Retrofin. Retrofin had been through its share of controversies. It had been through a, a pair of lawsuits with its one-time CEO, the now convicted felon, Martin Shrakili, and, and through a, a tough late-stage failure. What attracted you to the company? What was the opportunity you saw? Well, I certainly uh, did my fair share of research when I was asked to consider this role. And like, as you say, many of the listeners, it, I became familiar with the history of, of the company. And yeah, I was reluctant to join. And in fact, you know, said, I'm not going to consider this opportunity. But upon really urging me to do further research and to look at the company for what they have been doing in recent years, I became really impressed. And there were two things that, that changed my mind and that led me to believe that this was the right company for me. The first was the people. These are individuals that are truly committed to rare disease. And, and like me, so many of my colleagues at Trevere have a personal connection to rare disease, either as patients or caregivers or survivors. And so their work is personal and there is a high degree of commitment and integrity that my colleagues bring every single day. And I think the second was the, the science and the work that this company has been doing. And, you know, we've really tried to pioneer in many ways uh, areas that go beyond just the, the therapy that we're working on, that uh, in, in projects that are truly meaningful for rare disease patients. And one example is the work that we've been doing over the last several years uh, to support telehealth with Children's National, the Rare Disease Institute there, that really is, is helping to bring top experts in genetics and rare disease to families in their home, where oftentimes mobility or travel is such a challenge for rare disease patients. And that really spoke to me about who this company really is and that they care about the needs of patients. How did you arrive at the new name and what do you hope it signals to people? So this has been quite a while in the making. We actually decided last year to change the name. And I remember sitting around a table with a, a number of uh, my colleagues from around the company. And we didn't take this decision lightly because while there has been you know, history and controversy with the prior name, there was actually a tremendous amount of respect and, and, and positive reputation that we have within the rare dis disease community because of the work that we've been doing. But we decided because we wanted to fully align all aspects of the company and the work that we do. And we've evolved as a company and the work that we've done and the science that we work on has evolved. And, and so the prior name and the root of the prior name really has no longer any relevance to who we are today. And so we spent quite a bit of time with our employees and uh, members of the rare uh, disease community outside of the company to really describe who we are and the role that we play within 
within the rare disease community. And this idea of being a partner on the path that, that rare disease families are on became a consistent theme. And that really is the root of Trevere therapeutics. So Trevere is, is made up of two Latin root words, tractus, which means path, and vere, which means truth. And I think, you know, what we want to, to be known as and really held accountable to is to be a partner along that path and to really continue to seek that truth that so many rare patients and their families are on, whether it is in a deeper scientific understanding of their disease or in helping for an earlier diagnosis of their condition or in ultimately finding a, a treatment or a cure. That, that path is often uncertain and whether it's in the family or whether it is in the drug development process, that path is uncharted within rare disease. And we've got to go on that courageously and we've got to go on it with the number of partners and stakeholders that are required for us to move quickly forward. And that, that really is the, the, the essence of this new name, Trevere, and the commitment that the rare disease community should have from us going into the future. Trevere has a, a number of products at markets. Your lead therapeutic and development is for rare kidneys diseases. Is there a common theme that ties together your marketed products and pipeline? What makes a product a Trevere product? Mm. Well, we are, uh, we are uh, focused exclusively in rare disease. And, you know, I think that the, the new tagline for Trevere Therapeutics, which is we are in rare for life, I think does help in, in answering your question. The first is we're going to continue to focus exclusively in rare disease. And we look to external innovation to help in building our pipeline. So we work with academics. We work with other smaller companies who have assets that may not have the capabilities or resources to continue development forward. And so we will work with them through clinical development and ultimately bringing it to, to patients on the market. Um, and we have historically been within rare uh, kidney and rare liver diseases with our commercial, uh, commercially available products. And so we see that that certainly is, is an aspect for us to continue to, to, to focus on. But we also uh, have had some experience in uh, rare metabolic diseases. And in fact, we recently acquired a new exciting uh, asset where there are no approved therapies. And we hope to bring not just within rare kidney disease, but also in this rare condition, homocystinuria, the first approved therapy that really addresses the, 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 uh, the root of that disease. Your lead experimental therapy is in development to treat focal segmental glomerular sclerosis. This is a, a leading cause of end-stage renal disease. What is it? So uh, FSGS, or as you say, fo uh, focal segmental glomerular sclerosis, is a pattern of scarring that uh, patients with this condition have in their kidneys. And oftentimes it is caught uh, after several years of, of continued um, progress of that scarring in the kidneys. Uh, oftentimes it's caught by uh, regular urine screening where you see elevated levels of protein because uh, proteinuria 
or protein in the, in the urine is really a sign of injury at the kidney and, and specifically at the filtering level of the kidney called the glomeruli. And when you have damage there that oftentimes uh, is irreparable, you will see a continued uh, worsening of kidney function that ultimately leads to end-stage renal disease. And these patients will uh, often need a transplant and or dialysis. Um, and what we see in FSGS is that after diagnosis, on average, about half of these patients are in end-stage renal disease by about 10 years. And I recently heard uh, from one mother whose 11-year-old daughter progressed to end-stage renal disease uh, after 18 months. So it can be very severe and often affects uh, children or uh, adults in otherwise the, the healthiest part of, of their life. And so it's a very serious disease where there are no approved therapies. These patients are treated with uh, common therapies that are off-label, but oftentimes are not really effective enough to slow that progress of, uh, of renal dysfunction. Your lead experimental therapy, Sparsentin, is also in development to treat immunoglobulin A nephropathy. What is that? So that's a similar disease, IgA nephropathy or IGAN. Uh, it, it affects more patients, but still is considered a rare disease. And for these patients, again, they are oftentimes diagnosed uh, in the prime of their life, oftentimes as, as young adults or, or children. and uh, what, what we see that is different in this disease is that oftentimes this IgA nephropathy and the injury to the kidney is um, caused by an, an infection. Um, so it can be a respiratory infection that then causes this, the immune system, uh, specifically IgA, to create these um, deposits within the kidney that cause injury at the glomerular level that then you have a very similar disease process that you see in FSGS where patients continue to have scarring, uh, proteinuria, and a, a, a progress to end-stage renal disease uh, over a period of years. And so these patients also do not have an approved treatment. It's a really exciting time to be in rare renal disease uh, because after about 50 years of no innovation and the lowest level of clinical trial activity, we're seeing a resurgence of science and investment within rare kidney disease. And we're really excited to be part of this wave of innovation and hopefully being able to address some of the first uh, approved therapies for these conditions. Well, what is Sparsentin and, and how does it work? So Sparsentin is a dual um, has a dual mechanism of action. It's an oral therapy, and it was originally developed for some cardiovascular diseases because uh, renal disease and cardiovascular disease share some similar mechanisms at the, uh, the, the kidney level. It blocks both angiotensin, which is a, a strong um, hypertensive uh, hormone in the body, as well as endothelin. Both of these mechanisms are quite well known through other uh, conditions. So endothelin blockers, for example, are used for uh, another rare disease, uh, peripheral arterial hypertension. 
but sparsentin is unique in that it actually addresses both of these mechanisms that are activated in these rare glomerular diseases. And so we hope with sparsentin to be able to reduce proteinuria and to slow the decline of renal function that ultimately we can help in uh, reducing the risk that these patients face of end-stage renal disease. You mentioned it has a, a dual mechanism of action. Is the drug acting in the same way on both these different kidney conditions? Uh, yes, it has a what we call a common pathway for glomerular diseases in that you see for many glomerular diseases an activation of both angiotensin and endothelin. And there have been some uh, attempts to address part of this issue uh, in that many of these patients with FSGS or IJ nephropathy or other kidney diseases are commonly uh, treated with an ACE inhibitor or an ARB, an ARB, angiotensin receptor blocker, that are widely used in, in other diseases like hypertension. They've not been sufficient because they only address part of the issue and you've got to really address both the, um, the activation of angiotensin and endothelin to really slow the progress and, and to allow for the glomeruli to, to properly um, filter and, and, and hopefully slow some of the scarring and inflammation that you see within these diseases. So it, is, it does address one of the core issues with both of these rare kidney diseases. And what's known about the drug from studies conducted to date? Well, there's been quite a bit of, of research that was done on sparsentin. Uh, it originated at a larger pharma company, BMS, and uh, that company did quite a bit of research looking at uh, some of the early work that you typically do in developing a medicine, like looking at dosing, PK, safety, and in broader populations and non-rare uh, populations. And so we had a, a, a pretty sizable database, clinical database, when Trevere acquired the asset several years ago. We've been working on uh, these rare glomerular diseases because they show a high unmet need, but also that this mechanism seems to be well-suited uh, for, for these conditions. So we've been working on two phase three programs, uh, as, as you mentioned, in FSGS and IJ nephropathy. And uh, we're in a position to be able to uh, have additional data report out uh, an interim analysis for both of those next year. And what's the path forward? And if all goes well, when might you expect to file for approval? Well, we, uh, you know, assuming uh, success, we will have interim data next year for both of these conditions. And if we assume that there is good safety and tolerability data, as well as the, um, you know, the assumed effect that we would have on proteinuria, then we would work very quickly to get these files into the FDA for accelerated approval. One of the aspects of these trials is that they're actually ongoing. We want to study these patients for several years to look at the longer term impact uh, that we could potentially have in slowing kidney function. So we're working with FDA on, on an accelerated approval pathway and then ultimately a confirmatory approval uh, with longer-term data. You've been on the job for almost a year now. Your tenure was just getting underway when the pandemic hit. Did this have any effect on the clinical trials? Did it 
give you a chance to be more thoughtful about the changes you wanted to institute as you move forward? Uh, yeah, so we've done quite a bit. I, I've been on the role for just under two years, so I had uh, about I'm a sorry. year to get my sea legs before uh, the, the COVID pandemic hit earlier this year. And, you know, we worked very hard to make sure that um, we work closely with the clinical trial sites to understand their needs and the situation locally, but also to make sure that we heard from patients and understanding their concerns. And I'll give you one of the examples that, of the adjustments that we made very early on uh, with these clinical trials. We had about uh, 12 or 14 patient advocacy leaders on a Zoom call, I think it was in April, and I and several members of our team really just wanted to be there to listen to, to what their experience has been with, with COVID. And what we heard pretty consistently was the high level of anxiety of rare patients leaving their house, and particularly patients with rare kidney disease where they may already be immunocompromised and at greater risk uh, if they were to, um, to be infected with, with COVID-19. And so, Part of the work that, that our team did was working with the clinical trial sites to have home health visits or telehealth visits as part of the clinical trial so that the patients were able to remain in the trial and also to make sure that they're minimizing their, their, their personal risk. And so those are some of the examples that we've seen and we've tried to do. Um, and we've been able to continue the, the momentum of, of both of those trials and, and hopefully be able to, to alleviate some of the anxiety and, and risk that these patients may face. Eric Dubay, CEO of Trevere Therapeutics. Eric, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.